This morning, we're, uh, we're continuing with the, the, the FAQ series of Frequently Asked Questions. And these are questions that you guys and other people have, have sent in uh, online. And this is an interesting, this is a lot, uh, it's, it's a lot stranger than normal. You know, when you're prepared a message, usually you have something, you know, you pray about it and you, uh, you have a word or, or we have series and things. But, but this one is interesting because we have an opportunity and it's really cool because, you know, in church, a lot of times, especially in a, in a situation like that, you don't get a chance. We, we don't quite often have question and answer time. And so uh, this is an opportunity for you guys to ask questions because we all have them. And, um, and, and so for people to kind of see what, uh, ask some things and, and, and get some answers from the Word of God and kind of see exactly what these are. So I'm excited about this. So we're going to get things started today with our first question. Can Jesus really forgive me for the sins in my past? A lot of us ask this question a lot of times. Can Jesus really forgive me? Now, you know, some of us, uh, you know, you may, I, I grew up in church. Um, I've been in church as long as I can remember. I make the joke I was born on Saturday in a church on Sunday, except I don't think I was really born on Saturday, but I've been in church my entire life. And so, um, you know, I, I don't have some of the, uh, I, I don't have some of the testimonies that people have and things. I, I, I was always in church and my parents, and I'm so glad to have my dad with me today. My dad's uh, here. He's in the back. So if you get a chance to see him afterwards, um, there's money in it if you tell him that I'll do good. So, um, but, you know, and, and so, you know, my, my parents kept an eye on me. They, they, they made sure I was at church. They raised me right. They took care of me. Um, they, they, they didn't subscribe to the, uh, uh, to, to the modern way of thinking that, you know, that, that spanking is not good for a child. Um, they, uh, they didn't subscribe to that. They made sure that I, and, and, and because of it, I suffer from such afflictions as responsibility and, uh, and, and doing things the right way and, and respect for other people. Nobody got that. It was... Is this thing on? Um, can Jesus really forgive me for the sins of my past? Yes, he absolutely can. That was easy enough. Next question. No, I'm just kidding. I'm going to say, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit. Can Jesus really forgive me for the sins of my past? I am so glad you asked that because it doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter if you grew up in church like me and, and you know, some of the biggest sins that you have were stealing M&Ms from the grocery store when you were four years old because your mom wouldn't get them. And then she made me take them back and apologize, and, 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 and it, was, it was terrible. But, uh, you know, so can Jesus feel, it doesn't matter if those are your sins. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what the sin is. Jesus can forgive you. Well, how can I take your word for it? I mean, you know, you're a funny-looking fella up there. How am I going to take your word for it? Well, fortunately, you don't have to take it because in the Word it says in 1 John 1, 9, and, and uh, now I grew up in a, I went to a Christian school when I was a kid, and so I memorized these things in King James because when I was a kid, back right after the Civil War, we didn't have a lot of the other translations. And so, so the King James was one. And so I memorized it like this. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Amen. Now, let me give it to you in a modern, because now I like to use some of the modern translations, because if you're like me, you need things kind of broken down simple for you. Um, I was told a long time ago that the difference between educators and communicators, educators take things that are simple and complicate them. Communicators take things that are complicated and make them simple. So I fancy myself a communicator, so I like to use things like the Message Bible and some of the other ones. And so this comes from the contemporary English version. It says, sorry, I'm old. It says, but if we confess our sins to God, he can always be trusted to forgive us and to take our sins away. So see, you don't have to take my word for it. Jesus can forgive. It doesn't matter what the sin. It doesn't say, uh, he, it says, Forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. There's not an exception there. There's not an asterisk that has things listed that he can't forgive. There's not things there. All unrighteousness. It doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done. But you see, 
The deeper question is not, because you guys have heard that, you guys have been to church, and you know that you've heard people say, he can forgive you of your sin. The deeper question, the question that we all really want to know is, the next slide. The real question, can I forgive myself, and how can I stop feeling guilty? Because you see, it's hard to believe that somebody would forgive us for some of the things that we've done. Because we all have things in our past. I joke about the, the most serious thing I've done is stealing M&Ms. My wife could give you a much longer list than that of things that, that I've done. But there are things that, are having our, that we all have in our past that we're not proud of. There are things that, um, you know, when it comes to confession and things like that, we don't want other people to know the deepest, darkest sins that we have. Sometimes the thoughts that we have, the things that we do, the things that we've done late night on our computer or the things that we've watched on television or the things we've done. You no, know, there are things that we're not always proud of. There are things that, that, that we don't like. And so the truth of the matter is, while we can believe that God can forgive us, the truth of the matter is, a lot of times we don't know that we can forgive ourselves. We don't know how we can stop the pain of, be, of, of, of feeling guilty from these things. And so the real question I think here is this. Now, let me tell you, I, I'm going to give you some background. One of the reasons that we continue to do this, in Revelations 12, chapter 10, now this is Revelations, and this is talking about the end of time, and, and, and so they're there, and it said, Satan accused our people in the presence of God day and night, and now he's been thrown out. Now, I just wanted to throw that in there to kind of give you some background. We have an enemy. Now, I grew up in a Pentecostal church. I grew up in the Pentecostal tradition. And, and, and I will tell you this, that in the Pentecostal tradition and in many churches today, we give Satan, the devil, we give our enemy much, much more credit than he deserves for the screw-ups in our life. We give him a lot more credit for some of the things that happen to us in our life because, you see, the truth of the matter is he throws things at us, he, he, he throws out stumbling blocks, but we're the ones a lot of times that, that, that jump in. I know in my own life, I'm the one that jump in hook, line, and sinker for some of those. He may dangle the carrot, but I'm the one that takes it and grabs it and asks if there's any more and looks for the bag, you know? That's the way we are. And so I want to give you that, that there's a person out there, this enemy, and he accuses the people of God day and night. He stands in the throne. That's his job. He's known as the accuser of the brethren. And John 8, says, he, the devil, was a killer from the very start. He couldn't stand the truth because there wasn't a shred of truth in him. When the liar speaks, he makes it up out of his own lying nature and fills the world with lies. You probably heard the King James that says, he's the father of lies and the truth is not in him. Everything that he says is a lie. And so what I want you to know is that when those feelings of guilt and those things that would do that, it's because we have an enemy. And there's always that accuser there that's, that's reminding us of those things that we did. And sometimes he uses people that we know. <laughs> sometimes he uses people that are fellow Christians and he uses people that do that, that like to point out our faults. And sometimes he uses us to point out other people's faults because it makes us feel better about ourselves when we point out things that other people do. I guess I'm the only one that does that. So, um, you know, I told you, my wife and I, we look at Facebook and, you know, do I look this old? People that we went, you know, we do things like that. We like to point out other people's faults to make, make ourselves feel better. The real question is, can I, can I forgive myself? Can I make myself stop feeling guilty? Well, the truth of the matter is you have to understand that, that when we come and, and we confess our sins to God, when we come to God and we say, I'm sorry. Now, now you have to understand there's a difference in confession and a difference in sorry. I, I have, uh, my kids are, are in their 20s now, but you know, when, when they were younger, when they were uh, pre-teens and, and in their early teens, and they would do things wrong and we'd call them out on it, we got the, sorry, sorry. Um, sometimes my wife calls me out on things and she gets, sorry. And you know what? We're not sorry. 
We're sorry that we're getting called out. We're sorry that we're getting fussed at. We're sorry that they're making such a big deal about this little thing that we don't know what the problem is, but we're not really sorry about it. And what Jesus says, if we confess our sins, if we come before God and, and, and we lay him down, if we, if, if we give these things over to God, he could forgive us. But the key is that we have to come to the place that we understand that what I'm doing is wrong. And sometimes, you know, for us, uh, we have that conviction, that thing inside us that when you do something, that, that kind of, you know, it, it, you, it, you hear the snap. My mom used to be able to snap her fingers, you know, <laughs> and you could hear it in the back of the church and you knew you were going to get it when you got home, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, and sometimes you hear things like that. Sometimes you feel just, you know, just kind of a check like, I don't know if I should do this. Sometimes when you're right there on the precipice, you know, of, of, of fixing to jump off into doing something we shouldn't do, and we feel things like that. And that's God trying to tell us and trying to stop us from doing it. But when we come to that, and when we go past the line, and we understand that I have made a mistake, I have messed up, God, I'm sorry. Forgive me for this sin. Take away this thing that's separating from me from you. When we confess our sin, when we come to that point, then he can do that. And then we understand that we have an accuser who's going to talk about things, and he's going to continue to remind us, and he's going to continue to, to whisper. He's going to use people to point out things in our past. But we have to understand that God is much more concerned with our future than he is with our past. God is more concerned with where he has for you to go. He says, for I know the plans that I've made for you, the, the dreams that I have. One of our core verses, I know, I have dreams, I have plans, I have things for you to do. And he's much more concerned with those things than where you've been. Because he knows that you can get better from where you are. You can't go back and fix what's in the past. But you can turn and you can go forward and you can do things. Does that not excite some of you guys that, that it doesn't matter? Anybody got things in their past, you don't have to raise your hand. Anybody got things in their past that you really don't want other people to know? God can forgive those things and he can take them away. It takes us to the next question, which is, which is very similar to this. It says, how can I know that God really loves me? You know, okay, so, so, so you say that he can forgive me and you say you can do this, but how can I know? And, and these were questions that came in online that you guys and, and, and people ask, how can I really know that God loves me? Well, the simplest thing, and this is a verse that probably every one of you have heard. If, if you don't know any other verse in the Bible, you probably know John 3.16. Now, if you're like me, you grew up and you memorize it like this, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. Well, the Message Bible, I like it because it really breaks it down and makes it simple. It says, this is how much God loved this world. He gave his son, his one and only son. And this is why, so that no one need be destroyed. By believing in him, anyone can have a whole and lasting life. When we come, God loves you so much that he gave his only son. Now, there have been times that I would have traded either one of my kids for some things, you know, but, but God gave his only son. Nobody got them. God gave his only son, his one and only son for you. Now, let, let, let me make it a little, more, a little more plain. There's another verse that I want to share with you. It says, uh, Romans 5, 8, But God put his love on the line for us by offering his son in sacrificial death while we were of no use to him whatsoever. The King James says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. But I like the way the message, while we were of no use to him whatsoever. You ever been to a, three, uh, a flea market or a thrift store or something and you bought a piece of junk? I know Cliff has because, you know, I, I, he and I have that thing. We do that, you know, we find that thing until we can rescue it. And people are like, that's a piece of junk. What in the world would you do that for? And then they take it and people take it home and they clean it up. I take it home and put it in my shed and it builds up. But other people, they take it home and they clean it up and they do things and they make beautiful stuff out of it. That piece was really of no use to them, you know, to the person, but they took it and they saw something in it. 
while you were of absolutely no use to God whatsoever. He sent his son because he said, I see something there. Let me tell you how much God loves you. The day that you were born, God smiled. The day that you were born, you, you, you may think that your life is worthless. You may think that you've done nothing else. But the day that you were born, God smiled. Because regardless of the circumstance, regardless of the background, regardless of all the other things that came into play, he knew that there was something there that he could work with. He knitted you together in your mother's womb. He created you and he had a plan from you from the very beginning. That's how much God loves you. We've been singing songs all morning about the love of God and how much uh, I want to go deeper. How deep, how deep his love is. It's like an ocean and we sink in it. We, talk, we, we talked about our God is love. I found a love. Everything today is kind of falling in with this because you see, if you don't get anything else from the message today, I hope you leave here and know that God really loves you. This is not cliche. This is not something that, uh, that you know, we get paid to say as, as ministers. This is not something that you know, we're supposed to do. This is the absolute truth that no matter where you've been, no matter what you've done, no matter who you are, God loves you. And he loves you more than anybody else ever could. The word tells us that, uh, that friends and, and family, that they'll, they'll let us down. Anybody ever been let down by people close to us, friends and family and things? But it doesn't matter because God loves you so much and he'll never, he'll never leave you, never forsake you. That's how much God loves you. He cared so much for you that he gave his only son so that he could live because he wanted you to have life and not just have life, but to have it more and more. Now we come to the place here where the question begins to be asked. I, I've, I've had people say because they struggle with things, and, and I'm sure some of you guys are like me, and there are things in your life that you struggle with. The Apostle Paul said, why do I do things that I don't want to do, and the things that I do want to do, I don't do? And he said, wicked, uh, wretched man that I am. I can't even do the things that I know I'm supposed to do. This is Paul, the guy that wrote most of the New Testament. This is a man who they say, they tell us in history that he ran to the chopping block because he was ready to go home. He was ready to meet his maker. He spent time in prison willingly. This is the man who did everything he could to sacrifice himself for God. And he said, I'm a terrible person. The things that I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I do do. And so I find myself in a situation and I don't know what to do. Anybody ever felt like that sometimes? And I've heard people say, well, you know, Jeff, I, I, I guess I just don't love God enough. And for some people, that may be the case. Maybe you don't. But I think even for those people, the truth of the matter is, is that you don't fully understand and comprehend just how much God loves you. You see, my wife loves me. My wife, I, I, I know she does because she, she lets me go on cruises with her and things, you know, and so uh, she puts up with me. And, um, and so, you know, as, as we come in, I, I know she loves me and, and, you know, she takes care of me and she does so many things for me. But at some point, no matter how much she loves me, no matter how deep that love goes, if I continue to turn my back and walk away, if I continue to go and seek after other pleasures and not, not loving my wife, at some point, no matter how much she loves me, she can't be with me. You guys follow where I'm going with this? And you see, there comes a point that, that we... We don't understand just how much God loves us, and we take for granted sometimes the things because living in America, you've heard you can, you can turn on, if you turned on your TV this morning, 
you got 700 channels or so, and probably 532 of them at some point had a preacher on this morning. And at some point, he made some kind of comment about how much he loves you, and God loves you. And we hear it, you sing about it, every song we did this morning, and we begin to take these things for granted that he loves us. Just as people do in marriage, I've, I've done a lot of marriage counseling in my, in, in my 25 plus years of ministry. And, and uh, I've, seen, you know, I, I've seen people where they come to the point that they kind of begin to take these things for granted. And they don't, they don't think about it anymore. They don't, they don't work at it. They don't worry about reciprocating. When, when your spouse does something really, not, you know, they love you and, and they do things for you. They take care of you. Whether it's the husband who goes out and, and he makes money and he comes in and he, and he takes care of everything. Or whether it's the wife that's, that's taking care of the kids and does so many thankless things that nobody really takes notice of sometimes. We get to the point that we don't worry about that. And that's what happens to love. With God, sometimes we come to the place that that we, and I love so much what Jamie did to the end there. We haven't talked about this, but it was, it was absolutely fitting at the end where she said, you know, we've talked about how much God loves us, but let's talk about us loving God for a minute. And I, you know, with, 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 with arms, uh, arms held high and, and hearts open wide, you see, there comes a point that we open ourselves up and we begin to understand just how much God loves us, that he loves us so much that before we were any use, he gave us son. And then we can begin to respond by understanding the extravagant love that he gave to us. The least I can do is turn off the porn or change the channel or get away from my computer if I know that there's nobody there and I have a problem with that or whatever, fill in, fill in the blank. Whatever it is that you struggle with, whatever it is that, that, that the temptation that the enemy holds out there, the accuser of the brethren that wants to hold over your head and keep you in a prison. The love that God has for you is so deep and so wide that you can't even begin to imagine. And when you begin to get just a glimpse of it, the extravagant love that he has, that it makes us want to respond with love that says, okay, you want me to, you want me to, to give up this, this cushy job that I've got here that I really like and you want me to move back to the place that I was anxious to get away from as a youngster? You want me to leave the, 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 the job of my dreams here in Florida and move back to Alabama, the place that I, I, was, I was ready to get out of when I was a teenager? Okay. And you've got stories like that. There are things, you know, that's, that's my story, but you guys have things that you've done that God has asked you to do, and, and, and it's easy. I had the opportunity to spend, uh, to spend about an hour with, with one of my mentors, probably the most influential person I've ever had in my life. Uh, his name is Dr. Arnold Lastinger, and uh, he was a pastor I worked for for about 10 years. Um, in Florida. <clears throat> and the man, the man is a man of God. Uh, he's amazing. Uh, he, was diagnosed in, he was diagnosed in June with, with liver cancer, and they've given him six months to live. And so while I, was, while I was in Florida, I made a special trip to go see him, and I spent about an hour with him. And I sat there in tears as this man, who's looking at the end of his life, he's 76 years old, he pastored for he pastored for 40 years or so, then he retired and became a missionary, and he traveled the world. And then while he was on the mission field, he was offered a position as the president of the, the, the Bible University in Kiev, Ukraine. And so he went there and he moved everything, him and his wife, and they moved there. And uh, he became that. And he came home because he was sick back uh, earlier this year. He was diagnosed with liver cancer. They've told him he's probably got six months to live. And I sat there as this man who's, who's meant so much. He's my spiritual dad. He's the guy has, who in ministry has taught me more than anything, anybody I've ever been around. And I sat there as he began to look me, and, and, and he's told me, he said, you know what? 
He said, everybody tells me, you know, how, how it's unfair that, you know, I've done these things for God and, and I've got cancer. And he said, or, or, you know, people talk about, I should really be pounding the, the heavens that God should heal me or God should do this. And he said, but you know what? I'm nobody special. He said, I've done a lot of things, but there are people that's done a lot more than me. He said, who am I? He said, you look in the Bible, there were people that were tortured. There were people that, there have been people, there are Christians who die around the world every day. Who am I? He said, if God decides to heal me, then that's really great because I get to spend more time with, with my wife. They've been married for uh, over 50 years, close to 60 years. I get to spend time with my five sons and my grandkids. I get to spend time with my great-grandkids and all these other people. But if God doesn't heal me, then I get to go home. As I sat there with tears running down my face thinking, you know, I hope that one day if I live... If I, if, if I live to that point, if it thinks that, that that's my attitude, that you know what, if God heals me, then that's great. But if he doesn't, I get to go home. That is understanding the love of God. And that's coming to the place that his reciprocation, his response to the love of God is that I've given everything. He told me, he said, I, he said I've done everything that I wanted to do. He said, I can't imagine anything else. So if God takes me tomorrow, I'm ready to go. And I trust that he'll take care of Joy, his wife. You see, when you understand the love of God, you begin to know that nothing, nothing is too big. Not even death. There is nothing that can take you from the love of God. Only you can take yourself out. And when we come to that place, we begin to understand that it makes us want to do more than just sit on a church pew. It makes us want to do more than just check a box that says, yes, I, I'm a Christian. It makes us want to do more than just come in and maybe set up some chairs. It makes us want to live a lifestyle that makes a difference in our world. Which brings me to the most important question that we're looking at today. How can I be a witness without being a weirdo? Now, you guys, all you guys have asked this at one point or another. You, you, you've, you've thought about this. I put this verse up here because in Matthew 28, Jesus came to them and he said, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Go to the people of all nations and make my disciples. Make them my disciples. Does this sound familiar? We talked about this uh, several weeks ago. We talked about making disciples. This is the last thing that Jesus said to the disciples. He's got his followers around. He's fixing to, he's fixing to ascend back into heaven and he talks about things and he says, I want you to go into all the world. It's known as the Great Commission. He says, I want you to go into all the world. I want you to make disciples. I want you to go make a difference. So obviously being a witness is important to God. Witnessing to people. Anybody grew up in church and they talked about witnessing? When I say those words, if you're like me and you grew up in the same background that I did, you get this pit in your stomach because you think about going door to door to people's houses. And anybody ever do that growing up? You guys know what I'm talking about? They go door to door to people. You have no clue. Yeah, we got another pastor. We got a pastor's son up here on the floor. You know, he knows what I'm talking about. Um, you go door to door to people's houses you didn't know. That's the way we used to do it. Or you'd go out and you'd hand out those tracts. Remember Rick was talking about the, 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 the tracts a few weeks ago? Man, I, I remember those. I, I would like him. I, they were comic books. They were free comic books for me. I thought they were cool. But uh, you'd go out and you'd hand things like this. You would do things. And, and that was our idea of witnessing. 
modern, excuse me, modern, you probably think of something like, anybody ever been to Lakeshore Avenue uh, or Lakeshore Drive over there and you get off over there in front of the Sam's and the guy that stands over there, anybody ever seen the guy he stands with a, uh, you guys know what I'm talking about. And he's got this system and he's just belting it out and singing and yelling and saying stuff. And I have no clue what he's saying half the time because I'm driving by or I'm looking and people are driving by and they're doing all kinds of things. Maybe God called him to do that. Maybe he's absolutely obeying God. But that's not me. <laughs> that is not something. And most of you guys, if you're honest with yourself, most of you would say, not me. <laughs> if I said, brother, I think God wants you to go stand out there, most of you would be like, I, I don't think so. I think you need to check your reception because you got a wrong number there. That's not, that's not what God wants me to do. So that's, I think that's where this question came from. Whoever sent it in and said, how can I be a witness without being a weirdo? I know God wants me to witness. I know God wants me to talk to other people. How can I do that? St. Francis of Assisi made the comment. He said, preach the gospel at all times. Use words when necessary. Now you see, for me, this is what, this is what I can get. I have some friends in ministry. I've served with some guys, and, and, and they're the kind of guys that they can start a conversation with anybody. I have been in the Walmart checkout line with, uh, with, with one of the youth pastors I had as a kid, Johnny Jernigan, and this guy, I mean, he can, he can talk to anybody about anything at any time. Uh, he tells the story about he was, in a, he was in an airport several years ago, and um, he, he met, uh, I think it was Emilio Estevez, and so they're, they're standing in line, and the guy begins to, he says, hey, can I pray with you? And he prays with Emilio Estevez in the airport. Why is there? Everybody under 30 in here is going, who's Emilio Estevez? What are you talking about? He was a famous guy back in the, the last century. And so, um, but you know, we, we, we do things like, this, this guy could talk to anybody. He could do things like that. He, he could, uh, and, and that's not me. I've, I've, been in, I've, I've been in Walmart with him in the checkout line. And he ends up having a conversation with the cashier and leads the cashier to Jesus standing right there. I mean, it's, it's, it's not me. I, that's, that's not who I am. I can stand up here and I can make jokes. I can, I can go in and I can do things. I, man, I can run a soundboard. I can play. I can do a lot of things. But to go in and to strike up any kind of conversation is not, is not who I am. And some of you guys are like that. And it makes you feel really weird to do that. So you want to know, how can I be a witness and how can I do this without feeling like a weirdo? Well, St. Francis of Assisi says you preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. Now, what that means is everywhere that you go and everything that you do, we talked about this last time. What are we doing? We're making disciples. We're making... Okay, we're making disciples. Three people got it, so... We're making disciples, everything that we do. And that's what Jesus said. I want you to go out and make disciples. If you have kids, if you don't, you will one day. And when you do, you need to know this. When you have kids and the first time that you're in front of company or you're somewhere and your children imitate something that you or your wife have done that you really wish they wouldn't imitate in front of people, or they say things that maybe you said in the car talking to your spouse and you thought the kids weren't paying attention and you didn't want them to repeat, and they repeat. I'm sure none of you guys ever did that. <laughs> I did. And things like that happen. You realize that you're making disciples. There are little yous that are following you and listening to everything that you say, and they're make, you're making disciples, good or bad. You're doing things that you wish you hadn't. There are situations and times that these things... <laughs> we, were, uh, we were in a, a service one time I was, uh, <clears throat> I, I was on staff at a church in uh, South Alabama, 
And we were in a, we were in a, a revival meeting with the presbyter of the section, and he was sitting in front of us. It was a man that I had known for years. Uh, he had pastored at the church my dad grew up in. I knew him. And so uh, he and his wife were sitting in front of us. And one of my sons, who was probably about six at the time, uh, no, he was younger than that. He was probably three or four. Um, he, uh, my mother-in-law smoked. And so we had just spent time with, uh, with, with my in-laws. And so we're sitting in church, and the presbyter's in front of us, the guy who's like over, you know, he can like take my credentials away if he wants to, is sitting in front of us. I've known the man my whole life, really nice guy. He and his wife turn around, and my son has a pen he had taken from the thing, and he starts doing this in church. <laughs> my wife says, what are you doing? I'm smoking like ready. <laughs> Fortunately, the, the presbyter fell on the floor laughing because he thought it was quite funny. It's times like that that you understand that I am making disciples, not just, not just what I say, not just what I do, but what I expose my children to, not just that, but what I expose my friends to, what I let them come to my house and see me watch it on TV, what I discuss with them that I read, what I discuss with them that I do, what I post on Facebook or Instagram or social media. I am making disciples. Preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. One of the problems we were talking, oh, I was talking to the prayer team up here this morning. We were, we were praying, getting ready for the service today. If you guys didn't know, there's a team. And uh, if you like to pray and, and, and you're looking for something to do and you don't want to stand up here, you don't want to do things, there is a team that we have and they pray for our services. And a lot of times at the end of service, most of them are available up here to pray with you. And these guys meet every morning, they pray, but they pray during the week. And these are guys that I know, and Pastor Rick knows, that if there's something, we can, we can get a message to them. And these guys are going to pray, and they're going to they're gonna reach God. And we're talking this morning, and one of them spoke up, and they said, we were talking about things to pray about, and she mentioned revival. And I said, you know, it's, it's, it's really cool, because that's something that when you, when you begin to look around at, at, our, at our country, when you begin to look around our world, when you begin to look around, and I'm not one of these weirdos that's going to come and talk about, you know, the, we need the wrath of God and the judgment of God, and we need to, do, and we need to call out everybody's sin this morning. I'm not, I, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about coming to the place that we understand that we need God back in our lives. We need God back in our society. We need God back in the things we do, not because we want a theocracy that's ruled by, not because we want anything else, but simply because we need, we need help. We need, I don't know everything. I don't know, I, I, may, I may act like I do sometimes, but I don't know everything. As much as, <laughs> as much as she seems to, my wife doesn't know everything. As much as all of us, you know, go and do, we don't know everything and we need help. And that's what God is there for. He loves us so much. He wants us to be there. He wants to, he wants to help us. He wants to do things for us. And we need God in that. And that comes back to, here's, here's a point that, that uh, Andy Stanley, one of, my favorite, one of my favorite pastors that I listen to his podcast and uh, I read his books. He's a great guy. And uh, Andy Stanley made the comment. He said, if the church of America would take one year and not, not pick it, not uh, protest, but would simply live like Jesus commanded us to live. And every church in America would adopt one kid. We would see a difference in our world that would take care of the symptoms of sin that we picket and we protest and drive us crazy. 
Now, you may or may not agree with that, and, and, and that's absolutely fine because I don't know everything. Andy doesn't know everything. Not all of us know everything. But I do know this, that when we begin to preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary, then words like hypocrites, <laughs> words like fakes and phonies, words like people that are more concerned with money than they are with help, you know, these things that the church has been accused of, begin to fade in the distance when we begin to preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. There's a verse I want to share with you. It says, um, John, I'm sorry. <laughs> Romans 12.1. This is Paul talking. He says, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for him. How do you witness without being a weirdo? Everything that you do. God, he's, this is Paul. He said, you know, he said, here's what I want you to do. God helping you take your everyday ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. The King James says, says that we make our lives a living sacrifice, for this is your reasonable act of worship. He says this is a reasonable thing to do to, you know, as an act of worship, to make your life a sacrifice. And this is what that means. Take your everyday, ordinary life. So maybe you're here this morning and you think, I'm a plumber. I'm an electrician. I'm a carpenter. I'm a doctor. I'm a lawyer. I, you know, whatever. <laughs> I'm not going to make the joke. Um, it doesn't matter what it is that you do, but your everyday, ordinary life, regardless of what it is you do, whether you work in the home, outside the home, how do you be a witness without being a weirdo? You take your everyday life and you do it as unto God. You, you clean houses like I'm cleaning God's house. You cut people's grass if, you, if you're in lawn care like you're cutting God's grass. You do electrical work as if you're doing electrical work at God's house. You cook, you clean, whatever it is that you do, you do it as if I'm doing this for God. I'm not doing this for my boss that I don't like, that doesn't like me, that's a cheap or whatever it is that you, know, that you like. Maybe you do like your boss. I'm not just doing it because I like my boss. I'm doing this because I'm doing it for God. And when people begin to see things like that, I've often, <clears throat> I've often made the comment that, you know, Christians should be the kind of people that everybody wants to hire. Christians should be those people that when, when, they're, when, when they're hiring things, now obviously because of you know, legal things, they can't ask you, or you know, are you a Christian or whatever, but this should be the kind of traits that they look for because these are the guys that they're working hard and everything that they do, they're, they're sleeping, eating, going to work, everyday life, everything that they do, they're doing it as an act of worship unto God. But sadly enough, <laughs> a lot of times as Christians, we're the ones that, you know, we're not, we don't do like that. A lot of times as Christians, we're more concerned with, with other things instead of being concerned about doing the work of Jesus and preaching the gospel at all times and making disciples. Now, you may have gotten the clue at this point that this is something that I'm passionate about. Because you see, um, you can ask my wife, I, I, uh, I don't post a lot on Facebook. I do some, and I, you know, I, I do things to make jokes. But I don't do a lot because every time I do, I stop and think, what, is this gonna, what are people going to think when they read this? If I post something or share something, I have to stop and think, what do people do? There are things in my life that I don't do, not because I think they're going to send me to hell or they're going to harm my relationship with God, 
But there are things that I don't allow myself to do because I know that other people will look and it'll harm their relationship with God. Now, there are things that I do that harm other people because I, I'm not saying I'm perfect because I'm not. Again, my wife has got the list. She can, she can show you I'm not perfect. But I know for me, social media and things like that, that it's really easy to, to, to throw up a tweet and a text. We get mad and we go, you know, celebrities go on rants and things and they have to go back and apologize later because they say stupid things. Sometimes as Christians, we say stupid things because we throw it out there because it's the heat of the moment. We get angry and we say things. Sometimes in arguments, we say things and we throw words out there that we can't take back and they hurt. A couple of sermons back, we talked about the tongue and we talked about how words hurt and words do damage and words leave scars. We throw things out, be on social media and things like that, but it all comes down to being a witness. How do we be a witness for God without being a weirdo? You take everything that you do and you do it to God. You do it as under the, God, as under the Lord. You make it that. Now, here's the thing, because I say without being a weirdo, because sometimes watching what you say on Facebook and not throwing or, or, or Twitter or things like that, not throwing those things out in the heat of the moment does make you a weirdo because that's what people do. And that's what society tells us we're supposed to do. We're supposed to live in the heat of the moment. There are people upset. There are a lot of people in the state of Alabama today that are ready to get rid of various coaches on football coaching staffs. We get mad and we want things right now. We want it fixed right now. We want these issues taken care of right now. And God begins to tell us that, you know what? We need to be cool for a minute. If you read on, this is not up there, but Romans 12, 1, you can go, it's, uh, uh, I believe it's on the Sunday's page. You can go on and look. If you look up Romans 12, 1, if you read on to 12, 2, here's the thing, that, and, and this, this is one that really convicts me every time. Do not become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you, developing well-formed maturity in you. See, the world would like to tell you, and, and, and I'm not one of these guys because I, I'm not one of these guys that thinks, you know, we should so insulate ourselves in the world that we need to have our own Christian community and we don't let non-Christians in. You know, we go to Christian schools, we, get, we eat at Christian restaurants, we go to Christian, you know, we do. I, I'm not somebody like that because I think Jesus said we're supposed to be in the world, just not of it. We're supposed to go out and reach out. Jesus went out and he, and, 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 uh, he, went out and he ate with sinners. He went out, uh, he, the Bible says, with sinners and tax collectors. I mean, you know, he, he, the worst of the worst. So I'm just kidding for those of you who work for the IRS, Kelly. Um, so, no, you know, he, Jesus, Jesus went out and he ate with these people. He went out and he was in the world. He wasn't, just, he wasn't just somebody that preached this. And God wants us to do that. So I'm not saying that. But I'm saying that he says we should be in the world, but not of the world. I, uh, I had a story, I heard a story this week. One of the, uh, one of the young men who, who I had a chance to mentor when I lived in Florida for a short time, and uh, he went on to, to mentor one of the other guys, and he went, he went to a Christian school, uh, to Southeastern Bible College in Lakeland, Florida. It's an Assemblies of God Bible College. Um, he, wanted to, he wanted to go out to ministry, and he wanted to go and he wanted to minister to the Bohemian culture. Um, you know, the, the, so some of the modern things. He, he wanted to go out and he wanted to minister to this community. He was so, had such a heart for these guys. And, and that, was his, that was his vision. That was his dream. And so he, he got married and he and his wife began to go. And he began to become so obsessed with the culture that it began to, it began to creep. He, didn't, he wasn't just in the world, he became of it. 
And he began to come inside him again. He became so well-adjusted to the culture around him that it ended up costing him his ministry, his marriage. It cost him just about everything. He's moved halfway across the country now, and he's, he's turned his back on everything. This was one of those solid young guys. I, I mean, he was, he was like a son to me. He, was, he, was, you know, he, he and I took several trips together uh, to different things. I, I took him to conferences and things. Great young man. And he turned it all away because he became so comfortable with his culture that it cost him everything. And this morning, I need, to, I need to stress to you that to be a witness, whether you're weird about it or not, to be a witness requires that we are different. If we look so much like, and, and, and you know, there's, there's nothing, man, if you, got, if you got long hair, I didn't get convicted and cut my hair. I got hot, so I cut it. So, uh, you know, or, or, or you don't have to wear... <laughs> You don't have to wear a suit and tie. You don't have to wear, you know, obviously, I mean, we, uh, I'm, I'm pretty dressed up this morning for what I normally, normally wear. But, you know, you, you, you guys don't have to, it, it, all that stuff is not important. What's important is what's on the inside. What's important is knowing that I live my life. It's not important that I don't make mistakes. It's important that when I make mistakes that I own up to them. And I tell people, you know what? I messed up. I'm sorry. Because I go back to the second question. I know that God can forgive my sins. I know that God loved me. So, I'm sorry, and I'm going to try not to act that way again. If I had a quarter for every time I have had to tell my wife or my kids, I'm sorry, over the last 26 years that I've been married, <laughs> I would be a very poor man. If, if I had a quarter for every time, I'd be rich. I'd have lots of money because I say that a lot. I learned a long time ago when it comes to marriage, you can be right or you can be happy. Most of the time, I choose to be happy. <laughs> God is calling us to do something different. I've got one last scripture that I want to share with you. Worship team's going to start making their way, and uh, we're going to come up here in just a minute, but I've got another scripture that I want to share. This is in Matthew 5. It says, let me tell you why you are here. We have the question all the time, and, and, and uh, I, I was looking through the questions. I didn't see this, but this gets asked a lot. What's the purpose of life? Why are we here? Here's the answer. Let me tell you why you're here. You're here to be salt seasoning. Salt seasoning that brings out the God flavors of this earth. If you lose your saltiness, how will people taste godliness? You've lost your usefulness and end up in the garbage. Here's another way to put it. You're here to be light, bringing out the God colors in this world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this, as public as city on a hill. If I make you light bearers, you don't think I'm going to hide you under a bucket, do you? I'm going to put you on a light stand. Now that I put you there on the hilltop on a light stand, shine, keep, o keep open house, be generous with your lives. By opening up to others, you'll prompt people to open up with God, this generous Father in heaven. You see, the whole reason that God keeps us here, the reason that we come, you know, there's a reason that when we don't, when we come to God, that God doesn't say, okay, you made it, come on to heaven. <laughs> there's a reason that, you know, uh, I mean, there'd be a lot simpler that way. We wouldn't have to worry about, you know, messing up and things. If we came, we've repented, we made right with God, and we went to heaven immediately. You know, that would <laughs> also be a lot more people going because, you know, they'd say, hey, that stuff must be real. But uh, God left us here because he wants us to be witnesses. He wants us to go out and to be salt and to be light. He said, if we lose our saltiness, then how will people taste godliness? If we hide our light because we're ashamed of it, then how are people going to see? But if we keep open house, if we open ourselves up and we're generous with our lives, we're going to prompt other people to open up to God. And this morning, maybe you're here and maybe... Maybe this whole thing has been painful this morning for you. You know, maybe you're, you're thinking you wish Pastor Rick was here or, you know, you're thinking that uh, um, we'd have done something else this morning. But whatever it is, I, I, hope that, 
I hope that you leave here with this in mind. That God has called you. If we go back to all three questions today, it doesn't matter where you've been or what you've done because God can t- God's not concerned with your past. God's concerned with your future. God's concerned with your right now going forward. It doesn't matter what your background is or where you are because God loves you more than life itself. God loves you so much that before you were, before you were anything, he loved you and he gave, his own, he gave his son to die for you. And God wants you to be a witness for him. And he doesn't, he's not telling you that you have to go stand on Lakeshore with a sound system and yell at oncoming cars. He's not telling that you have to go put tracks under people's windows. He's not telling you have to go knock on people's doors that you don't know. He's simply calling you to be salt where you are, to be light where you are. Jeff, I'm not a, I, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a pastor. I'm not very good with words. Good. Because people don't, People don't want to hear somebody that's good with words because then they think that we're shysters or we're salesmen or we're somebody that's just coming in here to, you know, they're thinking that we're trained to do that. They want people that live it every day in and out. People that aren't good with words necessarily, but people who are good with, with actions. My wife and I are going to be, we're, we're going to host a life group this semester and it talks about what's your story. And we're going to be talking about lifestyle evangelism and, and developing your story, who you are. Because you see, every one of you have a story to tell. Maybe you grew up in church and, you know, you had a boring life and, you know, you did a few, you know, you, you, you didn't really, you don't have the testimonies where, you know, I was a drug addict and I was, you know, I had a $5,000 a day cocaine addiction and this, that, and the other, and God saved me. You know, maybe you're like, I stole a pack of M&Ms when I was five and my mom made me take them back and pay for them. You know, but you have a story and there are other people who can relate to your story that can't relate to my story. And there are people that can relate to my story because, you know, when I talk about things that I've experienced in ministry, other people that say, man, I've been hurt in ministry like that. I know what you're talking about. And there are people that can relate to your story. And God is calling you to tell your story where you live. Preach the gospel at all times and use words when necessary. Everybody would stand up and come down to the front. You guys know we like to close the front. If you're visiting with us this morning, don't worry. Pastor Rick will be back next week, and so everything will be back to normal. Well, as normal as things get around here. But if you are new, we like to come down and close together in the front because we're going we're gonna to sing another song here in just a minute. But before we do, we're going to take an opportunity because there are some of you, and you came this morning, and maybe you sat through this entire message and you didn't get anything outside of it because you've got something that's been gnawing at you because you need prayer this morning. You've got a situation you're going through. You've got something in your life, and you need prayer. There are some guys, and they've got, some have got a lanyard like, uh, like, we got, like Russell's got on right here. There's some others that are just standing up here, and they want to pray with you this morning. They want to make themselves available to pray with you because you have a need. And there are others of you that maybe as you, we went through this thing, we talked about being salt to being light. And your excuse is, I don't witness because I'm not very good with words. I don't witness because God didn't call me to be a pastor. That's what, that's what we pay you guys to do. That's what, they, that's what we pay Rick to do. That's what we pay, you know, we pay these guys to be pastors. And you were challenged this morning because I told you the scripture says that God wants you to do it. God wants you to be salt where you work. You see, I can't come to your work and, 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 and witness. Um, they might throw me out because I'm not supposed to be there, you know. Uh, I can't come and do that because they don't know me. For all they know, I'm just some weirdo that's come in there to do this. They may know you're a weirdo, but they trust the kind of weirdo that you are. And you're supposed to be salt and light where you are. 
So as we, uh, as the band begins to play, and Jamie's fixing the, uh, Jamie's fixing to lead these guys. As they get ready to do that, we're going to pray together. I'm, I'm going to lead us in prayer, and then I don't want you to start singing to your to your through praying. And, and if you're here this morning, and 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 your prayer, regardless of what it is, if it's a situation, we want to pray with you. Uh, if it's something we talked about this morning about being salt and light, because we've said this over and over, and this is the reason I'm at Church 2911 is because the vision that they have responded so much to me that I'm not here because I, I've been in ministry. I, I've uh, I've been vocational ministry my entire adult life. I didn't come to 2911 because they hired me. They didn't. <laughs> I came to 2911. I'm not. I, I'm, I'm not on staff here. I, I'm. You know. I'm here because their vision spoke to my heart, and I said I want to go be a part there. And I came and I started sitting in the back and I told Rick, Hey, whatever I can do to help. Whatever you guys need, I want to. I want to be there because what you guys are doing is what God called me to do. And that's to be salt and light and to make a difference in our community.